Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together, each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. If you ask me, it's great weather for gardening. Saturday mornings come around again, and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening. My favourite tune. Good morning, Faye. Good morning, Chris. Now, we're without Ray today, and uh, she's taking a break, which is just fine, because it's given me the privilege of sitting in with you this morning, and we do have a guest. How are you, first and foremost? I'm very well, Chris. We've had a couple of beautiful days this mm. week, so I'm, I'm pumped. Mm. I spent all day in the garden yesterday, spreading around the pelletised chicken manure, and just really enjoying the sunshine and the birds. and It was glorious, wasn't it? Today, of course, we've warned everyone it's going to be showery. Tomorrow's partly cloudy, sort of a respite before another week of rain. I think the garden's enjoying it more than it realises. The gardens are looking amazing, Chris. Mm. I, I can't believe I've still got frangipanis with leaves on, so I thought it was really cold, but maybe we haven't hit those lows. I don't know that we've had frost in Jandicott, mm. but the the amount of rain we've had, I guess that keeps the temperature up unless you get hail, but with the cloud cover, it does keep temperature up and the rain's just phenomenal. It is, isn't it? It is just amazing. If only we could capture every drop, but at least the plants benefit from it. I had a question, if I may just put a personal question to you this morning, Guru. We've had a lot of wind a couple of weeks ago, which took a lot of the leaves off our citrus trees. But I noticed now that our oranges have finished and there are a few more mandarins still left on the, um, on the trees, they're already starting to flower. Now, are the, are the trees confused? I don't think trees get confused, Chris. My thoughts are trees know what to do. In different climates, some, some places that is warmer all year round, mm. they will actually fruit twice a year. So I hope so. That would be wonderful. Conditions, yeah, yeah vary. But they're already starting to bud. Can we prune while it is flowering? Well, if you think about why you're pruning, mm. why are you wanting to prune? To get more air inside, more light, just to, to free up some of the confusion, the overgrowth internally. Exactly. Yes. So the best time to do that is after it, after you've picked the fruit. Okay. And so, as you say, it's sort of coming coming on again. So by by pruning, you maintain the size, okay. you invigorate the tree so it will encourage new, healthier growth. You will lose some of the potential fruit mm -hmm. that would have developed on that tree. But that's okay because you'll get bigger, better fruit. And it'll make a healthier tree, right? Exactly. So you clean out the, the dead, dying, diseased branches and branches that are crossing over in the middle and now because the the weather is warming you mm -hmm. know spring's only a few short weeks oh, away isn't it true. september but the temperatures that we've got those 20 degree days signal to the trees that it's time to get moving again yeah. so give it give it a light fertilized it, we'll it feels like spring Let's not look at the calendar for the day. Mm. Let's look at what the trees are telling us. Yes. And they're ready to, to move, so let's give them to 
some feed to coincide with that. And pay attention to what is the weather at the current time. As you say, all relative to, to temperature. And my avocado, is it a good time to take that back at the moment? Or is I, it a- I wouldn't. We are going to talk quite oh. a bit more about avocados Great. today. But my feeling is, <laughs> and I've learnt by experience, don't mess with avocados when it's cold and wet. They're a, typically a, a tropical type tree, Great. so don't don't mess with them now. Wonderful, especially if they're looking sick. Ten past eight already. We're looking forward to your calls this morning on nine four eight four one nine two seven. If you can't hold on the phone to talk to Faye directly, you can always send us an email to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. We have a guest today we- who's going to be talking things very seasonal. Yes, we'll be joined by Claire Palmer. She's a a passionate and qualified horticulturalist Mm -hmm. and she works in a nursery, so she's got lots of experience. She's like hands on the ground, what's happening at the coalface? What are people after? Uh, What's the trend? What way are they moving? What are they having problems with? She's going to talk to us about getting seeds started for, for the summer months. And, of course, things are set to change with with watering so it is a really good time to plan ahead yeah think that's about what we've how been, you're going to manage well, that's what we've been thinking since we moved into this and we really converted the gardens we've had a terrific winter crop of uh, all the cruciferous ones the um broccolini and the brothel sprouts and the cabbages and the cauliflowers the peas beans beetroots wonderful but it's time to get ready to change that's what i'm hoping you and claire will discuss this morning because i need some ideas as we start to plan which you say is so imminent with the spring starting the beginning of september well you only have to feel the temperature i was down to a singlet gardening on thursday chris i was moving mulch around i thought gosh Two layers went off, and there I was in a sleeveless singlet. Can you With believe grandchildren? It? Oh, no. I had a, a friend over, and we, we weeded and we mulched, and oh, the garden is just humming. It feels so good. And the bees are busy. The bees are very busy, uh, yes. Collecting honey for their pollen. There's yeah. a song about that, isn't there? Probably. Pollen but I can't remember. for their honey. What I did well last time I was on the program with you, we talked about um, bug hotels or bee motels, whatever way you want to look at it. Where do I find a good one? Because I've been reading a lot that some of the timber used in making them is not good for the bees themselves. Well, that may be true, but it's actually not proven. Okay. And I have I've tried all types. I've bought commercial ones. I've bought the cheapest ones. Hello, they do work. Um, <laughs> so. I I disagree with some of the information that's out there. And, you know, bees are opportunistic. They Do they go to a tree that's dead, that's got a hole in it, and go, hmm, that's not the right depth? You Great. know, if it if it suits them, they'll nest there. And if could you make one yourself, do you think? Or could I make oh, one? Oh, Chris, yes. And do you know what? This is very timely. Okay. How much time have I got, you've actually? Got, you've got to, till the next break, about eight minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, if people have not pruned their hydrangeas, Mm -hmm. they can certainly uh, do that. So taking them down a a third to a half to two fat buds, perfect time to do it. Where this is going is that the prunings that you take away, you will have some nice pithy stems of who knows what length. You can bundle them up and hang them up and these can make homes for reed bees Or you can trim them very nicely and put them into any sort of vessel. You could use an old picnic basket standing on its side. You could use a drawer, an empty drawer standing on its side. And you can just jam all these things in. Now, 
pithy stems are one type of material that particular native bees will nest in, the reed bees mm. or exonura species. They're very tiny. They've got a red, reddish wedge-shaped abdomen and they will be in all sorts of gardens. But then you've got cavity nesting bees, so pieces of bamboo or holes drilled into wood. And this is where I say, it, you know, the bees decide because I've seen them nest in outdoor furniture with very shallow screw holes. Now, surely that trim timber is treated, but I've seen the bees nest, create their resin seal and hatch out. So they'll nest in your pergolas, old timber. Uh, if you've got a screw hole in your brick wall where you've pulled the screw out and the, the little plastic plug that's come with it, blow me down. You know, you might find that you've got a leaf cutter bee has moved in there. They're amazing. They just find spaces. You've given me courage because I've been thinking about the bamboo idea. I don't know about the hydrangeas. We haven't got any of those. But I thought about, yes, of course, the hollow centre of a bamboo, cut that into sections, even if I may be so bold as to say, taking a pet bottle, yes. cutting the end off it and stacking them in there and then hanging it. Yes. Would I be hanging You can it? use a tin. Uh, I, I would say uh, sort of undercover, like, do you know what, Chris, i I love them near my back door because mm -hmm. I want them where I'm going to see them. And I, I've sort of these days come to the realisation that maybe it's not great to have a big smorgasbord mm -hmm. because you also, once you've got native bees nesting, you've also got their parasites. But that's okay because that's a lesson. And when it is close to us and when we can sit there and observe this is how we learn. So one of those commercial uh, bug hotels mm -hmm. that I bought, mm -hmm. the holes presumably were way too big and there wasn't a great deal of nesting space. But the lesson that I learned when I hung that up in the garden under a bottle brush was I witnessed a, a mud nesting wasp, mm -hmm. a solitary mud nesting wasp, take a caterpillar that is quite specific to the plant that lives next door to it. And it flew away out of my way, landed on a bottle, a, a grass tree stem, paralysed it, and then provisioned one of those big holes in that bug hotel. Wow. And then it sealed it up with mud, which I have stationed around the place. And it's got water for the in the bird bars. So we've we've started to get this this recipe. We've got all the ingredients for what they need, but it got better. So I was standing there watching one day and there was this flash of green, metallic green. It's like, "Oh my goodness, my heart started to sing." And so I continued to watch, mm -hmm. and it was a cuckoo bee. And the cuckoo bee came and it parasitized the wasp nest. Wow. And the cuckoo bee then takes over the larva. It lays its own egg. And when the cuckoo wasp hatches, it uses that food provision for the mud nest, the, the mud wasp uh -huh. baby or the baby adult. And boom. We end up with isn't more it, cuckoo wasp. Isn't na nature, that amazing? Absolutely. Have you captured that on camera? I got photos of it parasitizing the wasp and I got a photo of the cuckoo wasp on the bug hotel. So, you know, if we don't get too hung up mm -hmm. about our expectation of 
that is a B hotel or whatever, you know, that was a lesson. And so that commercial, not best design, not the best wood imported from China type thing became one of my biggest lessons. Who are we to judge? But we can observe. And that is the benefit of having these bug hotels where we can see and observe them and teach our children and our friends and so Others. so so true and i mean i i'm fascinated by bees since you've been talking about it and i've seen your photographs excuse me just a moment that's better um i think i can be heard clearly now um but i, I just uh, they fascinate me like they do you i find myself in the garden watching them and going from plant to plant and the way they organize themselves absolutely stunning let us also just change the subject a little bit because i notice um there's a, a topic that uh, claire's going to bring up this morning about attracting small birds to your garden that's one of the things we've loved is that the things that we have done hopefully uh, are bringing more and more birds and there must be ways to do it and i'm sure claire will open up on that a little bit in the program today and and small birds compared to big birds so chris we've got a call yes i saw that um it's from paula uh, on a contact form it says i followed your advice and went out and got a bag of blood and bone and spread them over my garden beds it was like a miracle because there was no possum droppings on the next morning and the next until the third day and there were three droppings unlike before where there were dozens all over my courtyard and garden beds i don't know how long this is going to last sorry long to deter the possums from coming back but it was nice not having to clean up each morning this week your advice oh that's wonderful and i'm sure that blood and bone washed into the garden will also give Mm. the plants a treat Absolutely. And that is so good. I mean, this rain that is coming, and as long as it continues to, to rain before the seasons change, the more wonderful it is in well, the long run. last year we had quite a long, wet winter, mm. and we did our, our weed management, and then boom, we got more rain, more sunshine, and pff, another bumper crop of weeds. So. And we have been so lucky not to be flooded out like the eastern states. Now, talking of rainfall, John has brought me the sheet on all these statistics. You know, I don't think I could represent this properly. Can I get him in to talk about this after the break? Yes, I absolutely. Think be a idea. Good. We'll take a break. It's 20 minutes past eight. Just reminding you, it is your calls that make this program complete. We look forward to them as and when you want to discuss anything with Faye this morning or our guest, Clay Palmer. Claire Palmer, who'll be in in a moment. 94841927 or gardening at curtainfm.com.au. 20 past day. Well, I don't know why that happened, and I'm not going to ask questions, but nevertheless, we will continue on with the program. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain FM. I'm Chris Bartlett, sitting in for Ray this morning, who's away. But let me rest, uh, reassure you that uh, Faye is here, and our guest, Claire, will introduce in just a moment. I want to first talk to John Glidden, who is a voice you occasionally hear on the program. He's the background guru on research for the program, and he always likes to contribute uh, information about annual rainfall, which, considering there is rain on the way today, uh, and it's not rare, we've had a lot of it this winter, you'd be interested in his stats. John, tell us more about where we're at this month and annually and your stats that you've collected. Right, well, we're doing very well this month. I mean, it is only the 13th, and we're up to 121.2 millimetres, according to the Bureau of Meteorology, which is 0.9 millimetres below our August average. Wow. I've been keeping these records since 2011, and we are 1.8 mils above the average for the past 11 years. Which That's is fantastic. Which is really good. And I've got a few other interesting little 
snippets. We are we haven't had a lot of rain earlier in the year, so we're 61.9 mil short of our annual average so far. And looking at the forecast, we might get that easily before the end of the month. The record rainfall in the past 11 years, 186 millimetres in 2018. So we're 64.8 millimetres short of that. Whoa, okay, mm. so we're looking for a 65 millimetres this month. 65 yeah. millimetres. We've caught up for the year and we've set a new record for August. <laughs> and I much prefer your stats. It's positive rather than the <laughs> doom and gloom that we hear on. It's our driest... Whatever. Well, the showers today, Faye, talk about 10 to 15 millimetres. We've got a pretty rainy week ahead, and particularly on Tuesday, 20 to 25 millimetres, so we might make it by the end of the month. It's looking very positive. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> and oh. good for your stats. Thank, Thank you, you very John. Much. Thank you, John, Thank for you. coming. I appreciate that. So, back to you, Faye. Let's introduce our guest. Well, we have been joined in the studio by the lovely Claire Palmer. Thank you for coming today, Claire. Oh, thanks, Faye. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, we'll try and behave ourselves, Chris, because <laughs> Claire and I get pretty chatty when we get together about all the the bugs and the birds and the habitat. But it's what this program's all about. It's it's so family. It's so talking about things that we all love. Everyone who listens to this program, including me and those that present it and produce it, are passionate about gardening. And you feel it, even you know, through the airwaves. It's wonderful. And we've got some uh, regular listeners who always call in and ask us questions or share their good news. And we've got a couple on the board here now. Well, the one at the Chris. bottom I'm just going to mention to you is a, an, an, an announcement from Main Roads who talk about a de debris, tyre debris that's on the Graham Farm Freeway, city-bound on the Windan Bridge in East Perth. Uh, the left lane is affected, so the clean-up crew is on its way. There are no traffic delays at the moment. But just letting you know, tyre debris on the Graham Farm Freeway, city-bound on the wine, uh, Windan Bridge in East Perth. But <laughs> back to the call you talking about. Yes, we're going out this morning to talk firstly to Gary in Yanchip, who's got a problem, it sounds like, with his grapevines. Morning, Gary. Good morning. Yeah, look, I pruned all, all of my grapevine. Uh, it's, it's roughly three to four years old, and it's given us grapes over the last two years, except for one runner. Now, from even from the main stem running out, it runs out two to three metres, and I'm really reluctant to um, cut that runner off. It hasn't. That runner hasn't produced any grapes at all. Should I cut it off or leave it? What is the purpose of your grapevine, Gary? Uh, to get grapes. Okay. Not to uh, cover a pergola or trellis no. or seating area. No. no. Okay. Well, if if it's not performing, uh, you could either. Give it a little bit longer and wait for yep. spurs to develop off the side, like maybe they're not quite mature, or or cut it off and, and let the rest of the grapevine do the job. Do, Claire, do yeah. you? Um, thank you. I, I actually, yeah, I would cut it. I would definitely cut it back to maybe, if are there spurs forming on it? Uh, not not yet. Over the last two years, the rest of the grapevine produced grapes, <clears throat> bunches of grapes, um, but this runner didn't produce any. And you know, very healthy. It's as thick as your middle finger. Uh, over over two meters of the the runner, and then the last 
six and last metre is probably as thick as your little thick finger. And I'm wondering whether to cut it back halfway or to cut it back right at the main stem. What is the bark like on that? Oh, it's really good. No, so, it's really healthy. So is it, um, is it old? Is it mature? Is it a mature runner? Yeah, yep. A mature branch. And it's not getting any growth off it at all, like side latch. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's getting, it, it, it grows. It grows really good leaves and everything, but uh, it just doesn't have, didn't produce any grapes this year or last year. The other thing, Gary, is do you know what variety of grape it is? No, nah, sorry. Okay, because there's two types of pruning, cane pruning and spur pruning. Spur. Yep. Uh, so maybe what what to keep in mind is when the fruit develop, working out what variety it is so that we can work out which method of pruning suits it best. The other thing is it's very important to keep the grapevine open so yeah, that you, yeah. it's not Very cluttered open. and the air can move through freely. So yep. without seems, seeing yeah. it. It does seem very strange mm. that the other part is producing fruit, but this, just this one isn't. So you know what? Yeah. Um, I, I would change up things, give it a cut back, see what happens. Uh, in, in my experience, gardening is just one big experiment. And uh, okay. I would just say, why don't you see what happens? Give it a cut back to two healthy, um, I maybe spur. What do you do with the others when you're pruning it? What technique do you use when you're pruning Say that again, Mom. When you are pruning your grapevine, when you pruned it, what did you, did you spur prune it? Did you cut it, cut it back to two healthy Spurs? Yeah, I cut I cut Spurs. all the smaller smaller runners off, and all the smaller runners that produce grapes, I cut them back to the main stem. I wonder if runners. this will so, develop. So I've got about I've got about three four main runners, and then I've got this one that comes out right down the bottom near the ground. He comes out and he runs out uh, three to four meters, and but plenty of leaves, but no grapes. I would cut it back. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's untidy to me. Is that called shock treatment? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm not a, a grapevine specialist, okay. so all I would say is um, have a go, cut it back, see, change things up, see what happens, and uh, so you'll now, learn something. So now, cut it back halfway or cut it back right at the main stem? I, if it's... Growing from down low, I'd cut it back at the main stem. Yeah, okay. That's what I would do. Mm. Just t- tidy okay. it up and, yeah. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, bye. Appreciate Thanks, your call. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. bye. Quick explanation while you're talking about the two different types of pruning. Different grapes uh, develop fruit in different places. So cane canes develop on the end of a, a lengthy stem, mm-hmm. whereas a spur prune grape, you you cut back to two healthy spurs, which are close to the main trunk. So we've got to think about why we prune. One, we prune for fruit development. Two, we might prune to shape and size. So that's why I asked, is it doing the job of covering a pergola, shading a seating area, etc.? And what I've realised with my grapevines, because they got so big, I actually had trouble managing a huge crop so I've decided to be quite harsh in my cutback. I'd rather get less fruit 
but be able to manage them mm -hmm. better than to have a bumper crop mm -hmm. that I can't manage that the birds get. Thank you for that. Faye on your radio here talking gardening until 10 o'clock with our special guest, horticulturalist Claire Palmer in the studio waiting for your calls. There's something on Neil of Girrowin's mind this morning. Morning, Neil. Good morning, all. Morning, Neil. During the week, I was fortunate enough to hear that we have some sort of virus penetrating our forest worldwide and it's not a worm or a, a bug or anything like that. Apparently it's a virus that's in the air and it's making holes in the leaves. Have you heard of that at all? I haven't, Neil. I might no. have to... Do you... Is it... Is it... It's all around the world, you say. I mean, yeah, there are a lot yeah. of viruses going around the world. There are mm. some that are ripping through the northern hemisphere forests and we've mm. got the myrtle rust uh, mm. issues happening here. Do, can you be more specific? Do you know its no, name? No, not really. I just had this little brief encounter that was broadcast. I think the ABC had it on, actually. Okay, we'll get John to do a bit of research. He's sitting out yeah. there by the computer. So, John, yeah. uh, if you can follow up a virus going around the world affecting our forests. What a, what a shame. We just seem to get hit with one thing after another, don't we? If it's not a virus, it's a pest or mm -hmm. a disease. Or yeah. I think that's because of our movement around the world. Yes, very true. Changes constantly happening. Stay tuned, Neil. We'll, uh, we'll have John look yeah, into that and yeah. hopefully have an answer for you within the hour or so. Bye. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Your Neil. calls are always welcome. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Don't leave it to the last moment. Get in while you can. And while we have Claire in the studio, you may have specific questions you want to talk to her about, and Faye, of course, about the changing season and how to prepare. What do you suggest, Claire? Ah, well, it is an exciting time in the garden, isn't it, Faye? I've been spending, even though it's been raining, running out in between the little uh, <laughs> patches of rain with my gumboots all warm. And when that sun comes out and warms our back and we're knee-deep in weeds and <laughs> dirt, it's just the best. Mm -hmm. um, so there's so much to do in the garden. And I don't think you should be staying inside, gardeners, getting all nice and warm and toasty. You should be out there because... I tell you what, when you come back inside and it's nice, warm and toasty, you really appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, well, I will tell you what I've been doing in my garden. I have a an acre of garden and I've been gardening it for, in it for 20 years um, passionately. It probably should look better than it does, but... You know, gardening is about the act of gardening, not about the final destination, I, I think. Couldn't agree with you more, Faye. I have learnt all my mistakes. I have uh, really loved the journey of experimenting and and playing in my garden. It's a very uh, safe and uh, a beautiful space for me to be in, and I feel very lucky to have it. So, in my garden at the moment, I've been pruning the roses. I went through a rose stage where I planted way too many, like all. All of us that have been in one space for a long time gardening, we have lots going on. So the roses are being pruned. The grapevines have been pruned. So lots of pruning actually happening in the garden. Uh, for some people, um, gardening is a cosmetic exercise, but it's more than that. Ah, oh, It's incredibly therapeutic. Oh, Bes it's, besides the joy of producing your own food and your own roses. It's tapping into nature. Yes. And I think it's so good for the soul. 
It, uh, it can be an act of meditation. Um, I think for many of our, our listeners and for me, um, gardening is a space where I, um, yeah, take a deep breath and uh, really get a feeling of what's important in life. And um, I think gardening uh, all through the year, it, it can teach, teaches us so much about life, doesn't it, Faye? It does, yes. And you can, when it all gets too hard in inside and there's paperwork or there's worries about all sorts of things, we just go to the garden and let go. And mm. it frees us up. And we saw that so much during COVID, didn't we, how mm. gardeners turned to their gardens. I think uh, you have some control when you're in gar- when you're in the garden you're <laughs> kind of in funny. control but you're kind of not it's that ju- juxtaposition isn't it but uh yeah i think when you look at those seeds i was i was actually um thinking about the fact that we're getting to that time of year where we start thinking about our summer crops and we're getting us we're thinking about seeds aren't we we're, st- we're starting to think what are we going to be growing and you know the marvel of that seed that absolute marvel of holding that little seed of all that life in it and it's that's a beautiful thing in itself and within a very short space of time that little seed becomes something incredibly wonderful to watch grow and may produce whether it's flowers or whether it's some form of produce Mm. it's just an extraordinary experience it's it's full of energy it's packed with everything it needs to get going when conditions are right. So it can sit dormant until the time is right and then boom, away it goes. So seeds don't need fertiliser when they're first planted, do they? A seed raising mix doesn't have fertiliser in it. A seed doesn't need it. No. uh, it's A seed just needs um, a nice, well-drained, it shouldn't be too wet. It should be nice and uh, well drained, and uh, yeah, the actually those fertilizers can actually work be detrimental and cause some of the issues that people have. So yeah, I would be using something gentle like um, worm castings. Uh, they are part of my seed raising mix. I actually uh, grow my own, I actually do my own seed raising mix phase. So I'll use what I have around the house, the garden, and. Uh, create something but you don't have to you can go to your nursery and Mm -hmm. buy a really good quality seed raising mix you can buy a little block that you get home put it in a bucket add water and boom it swells yeah so it's like coir the expression you use well drained is that moist or is that damp ah that's a good (laughs) question chris i think that is moist Mm. yes Moisture, some residual um, moisture there yeah. for the for the seed to to rest in and remain warm in, but not too dry. Yeah, which is and what not damp is. for it to rot. And this is mm. what we need in our potting mixes too. They and for a lot of plants, they need free draining mix. A lot of the plants that we buy from hardware stores now are a coir mix or peat, and they they stay wet. They're like sawdust. So. A lot of those plants are grown in hothouses and that suits their conditions. But we get it home, we need to change it up, get it out of that mix and acclimatise it. But getting back to growing seeds, Claire, what should we be thinking about growing now? Okay. I've got my pen ready. (laughs) 
Okay, so yes, I'm so lucky because part of my job is to start um, getting the seeds in at the nursery. So I get to go through those wonderful lists of all those wonderful varieties of seeds and start picking what what I think our, our customers are going to enjoy. And um, at this time of year, it's a it's a funny time because it's not quite summer, but we're coming. the The soil is starting to warm, and the opportunity for bringing in um, new plants into the veggie patch is actually very real. So at this time, um, you can start putting in, uh, you can still be putting in your beetroots. Uh, I think some of the um, broccolinis are still pretty good to go at this time of year. Uh, your Cape gooseberries, uh, they're popping up in my garden. Sometimes your garden will even tell you what's good to go. I've got artichokes that are just popping up everywhere, so they're telling me. Nice. Yes, artichokes are good. Carrots are good. Your chives, most of your herbs will be pumping along now. I know my parsley and... Um, coriander coriander is just everywhere the silver beets really starting to get going which is exciting I'll tell you a funny little story my son was feeling sorry for the chickens uh, so he went and let them out <gasps> the other day and uh, I ca- you know that's fine I love my chooks but they can go free ranging but when I walked into the garden you know there was all, all my silver beet had been stripped the oh. kale just little stalks sticking up everywhere they they sure know where yeah, the good stuff is eggs will be good Claire yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there won't be as many bugs and they've dropped their little pops everywhere so I always laugh because um, when they go free ranging around the garden um, there's a whole acre for them to go and do you know where they end up they the end up at my patch. no. They end up at my front door, trying to <laughs> look in the glass, trying to see where I am. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll come back to talking about preparing for the new season. We'll take a break at nineteen minutes to nine. Cartoon Radio. And you're joining Faye and I'm Chris here talking gardening with you until ten o'clock in the great company of Claire Palmer, who's with us to talk about the changing seasons and birds in your garden and things to be getting ready for the change of the season for the summer crops. And we'll come back to that in a moment. We had a call earlier, Faye, from Neil talking about something in the air. A virus that was um, across the world that was causing holes in leaves in our forests and Claire, you did mention myrtle rust, and John said that is what the the article was about. And that is a very, very serious and worrying um, fungus that's going through, particularly because myrtaceae is one of our largest species, uh, families of plants, or genus. Is it genus of plants? Yeah. Family? Myrtaceae family? Yeah. So what... Just run off some examples of myrtaceae plants that are familiar to our listeners. Well, pretty much um, one way of um, discovering a myrtaceae is if you crush it and it has a strong smell. So any of your peppermints, uh, eucalyptus. Mm. I mean, can you imagine? There's, It's it's terrifying. Myrtle brush. Um, Gum trees. Yeah, or your myrtle, the myrtle family, mm-hmm. like all your, you know, millilucas. So it's absolutely huge. And, uh, yes, it is a worry. And I, I think, has it come to WA yet? Or I think... I, I know something. we've been asked to be on the lookout for mm. it. Um, so it is, it is a rust, um, myrtle rust. 
And if, if you liken it to roses, when you get rust on your roses or your geraniums, you can see pustules under the leaf. Mm-hmm. Like it's quite obvious what 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 it looks like. And is it treatable? Oh, I'm I'm not too sure. Well, given that you know it's not widespread here, Chris, we haven't talked mm. a lot about how to treat it. Mm-hmm. The big thing is identifying it. So if you have got plants in the Myrtaceae family in your garden, if you see signs of the leaves not looking good, the the first thing to do is uh, send a photo to the Ag Department. And the best way to do that is through the My Pest Guide Reporter app. Yep. What, what we can do is share some photos on the Facebook page later of what it would look like and we can link to the latest media release from Deep Herd that explains more about it. Super duper. 14, 14 minutes to nine. Sorry, go. Oh, sorry, mind, Chris. Yeah, no, I was thinking, you know, people can actually just Google it on their phone and they'll, there's a lot of information out there on it. But I do think that there... I was talking to um, uh, one of my colleagues the other day and they were saying that there, there might be some sort of... Um, well, hopefully, as it comes down down into the southwest, uh, our climate might not be um, very conducive for it to to spread as badly as it has in other parts. So, mm. we we might be okay. So, you know, these things always come with fear, mm-hmm. and uh, we always think the worst. But you know, sometimes you know. Um, Sometimes nature has a way of working itself out. Yeah. So where there there are pests arrive a few years ago, we had the potato tomato salad sweeping across tomato plants, chilies, etc. And we barely hear of that now. So predators sort of jump in and and they discover what they are and yep. they become a food source. So yep. maybe something good will will happen. Okay. Gardeners, while we're waiting for your calls, and we're always ready to take your calls on 94841927, we're going to continue to talk about the forthcoming season now, Claire. You talked about beetroot and broccolini and gooseberries and artichokes and carrots and chives and herbs of general nature, even silverbeet. Yeah. Go on. Are we looking towards tomatoes too? Ah, uh, Not quite ready for tomatoes, but I do know a lot of my organic grower uh, friends are all definitely starting. And generally what they will be doing is getting a uh, some a place that is warm out of the draft, the cold drafts that are coming in, and they'll be setting up usually in their laundries <laughs> uh, little um, benches full of seedlings just starting to uh, get them ready for um, so that they've got something up and ready, uh, up and ready uh, to get into the garden as soon as they can. I think because sometimes our growing seasons in Perth are um, a little bit, um, because we have these really hot summers, you've got this spring is a real time to get them going, mm, isn't it? Get them established get them while going. there's still some rains around, yeah. but the weather is mild. So um, keeping their, there are some things to consider when you are germinating your seeds. And one of them, would you believe, is temperature. And uh, we did have a, I had a, a customer came back with a saying, I've purchased these seeds, I've germinated them, and nothing came up. So I purchased another lot of seeds from the same uh, source, and again, nothing came up. So I do believe I've been sold bad Dead seeds. seeds. <laughs> and um, while I understand 
his frustration uh, and we did actually replace the seeds for free but with some more education yeah. about the fact that when you are germinating seeds you know the depth that you sow them is extremely important they only have a finite amount of energy to push themselves up um, so you want to get that the sow the depth right we talked about the mix it's mm -hmm. very important but also would you believe the temperature yeah. The temperature is a key part of unlocking the the seeds magic, as yep. it were. So uh, you could invest in a little temperature, pop it in your your soil and see what a thermometer, sorry. <laughs> thermometer. And the thermometer goes in the soil. In yes. the soil. And see what your your what it's saying because um, there usually is a temperature range um, between say sixteen degrees and twenty three degrees. And that little seed will then do its thing. So, yeah, there's a little bit of an art to mm. germinating seed. It's not, some people think it's just throw it in the ground and, you know, or pop it in and see what happens. Okay, and seeds and seedlings add to my shopping list. Mm. We got as far as Silverbeet. Is there anything else that's forthcoming that you ah, think we should be thinking of? You, Chris, you can, so the rocket. Love it. Strawberry runners at the moment are big in the nursery. So peas and beans. Well, uh, definitely peas. Uh, I, I, my peas, I don't know about you, Faye, but mine are all in full. I've got so many. to come. To, they're ready for harvest. That's yeah. what I'm saying. But I must say they grew way over the two meter two meters. And then in that storm we just had, oh, they all got blown over. So they're all kind of hanging off this. But they're still flowering and the, and the pods are there to pick. What are they growing? Are you growing them on netting or on trellis? Uh, for me, I just... I am a very, I have to, I'm very lazy. I just um, construct something out of whatever's around. So in this case, I think it's some rebar and two star pickets. Perfect. Bang. Done. <laughs> you said peas, beans also? Well, beans are a summer growing crop. Uh -huh. um, I think uh, you could consider... Broad beans, although it's getting probably a bit late too in the late. season. I think one thing that sometimes we don't discuss enough is timing is everything when it comes to growing veggies. And a lot of people, when they go into the shop, they see this range of um, beautiful seedlings mm -hmm. and they have germinated and they are ready to go. But you do need to think about timing because sometimes like a broad bean will take many, many, almost months for it to actually run its life cycle to be yeah. able to produce the flowers, get pollinated and then produce those lovely. And it, by then we might be into the really hugely into the middle of summer, yeah. in which case they start getting pest and Well, problems. and the other thing to consider, Claire, is the changing water regime. So everyone, uh, bore or not, will be restricted to two days a week yep. watering. So come September, if the rain stop falling and you can only water on that day and that day, you need to consider, are you prepared to go out there and hand water? Or if you're still going to plant now, what other ways can you manage your vegetable gardens? Good. Time to take a break. It is eight minutes to nine. Curtain Radio. 
And we'll have the next news for you in about six minutes from now. You're joining Claire, who's our guest in the studio this morning, talking to Faye, and I'm Chris Bartle with you until 10 this morning, them Jim Crinan. Uh, we're looking forward to your telephone calls. One of the things that we can be talking to Claire about this morning because of her experience is how to, uh, how to attract small birds to your garden. Maybe you've got some stories about birds that are coming to your garden or that you've attracted to your garden and how you did that. We'd love to hear about it on 9484192. Seven. Give us a call when you're ready. Meanwhile, Faye. And Claire, why do you say small birds rather than just attracting birds to your garden? Well, Faye, it's really interesting because I talk to people about um, their gardens ev- while I'm at work every day. And so many people just talk about just actually getting birds into their garden. That's the first thing. Because many of us don't actually see that many birds. They might see the odd kookaburra or, I mean, oh, magpie or, you know. But they, there is an explosion of interest in our community wanting to attract birds. But I was talking yesterday to a couple and they were just saying, oh, yes, we've got birds in our garden. But it's so noisy. They're always going off and it's crazy. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? They've got miners. You know the the cuckoo fa- the cuckoo miners, those grey ones with the black face. Black face cuckoo, cuckoo shrike. shrikes. Ah, yes. They've got wattle birds and lots and lots of New Holland honey eaters. And so I was saying to them, oh well, what predominant uh, plants do you have in your garden? And they had so many bottle brushes, lots and lots of red. So I got to just uh, chat with them a little bit about how red is a fabulous colour for attracting birds into your garden. But sometimes those really big shrubs with large, large amounts of red attract a lot of the territorial birds that actually push all the small birds out. So by uh, tweaking things a little bit and, would you believe, using a bit of colour and Again, it comes this magic word, diversity, having diversity of plants with different flower, colouring, different flowers um, of different colours. You can, uh, you can actually end up getting the smaller birds being able to come in as well. So there is an art to it. Uh, habitat gardening is an art. And I guess also having food for the birds because adult birds are after pollen and nectar. But, of course, to feed their birds, they're after small insects. So here we go again. (laughs) That's right. We've got insectivores and then we've got plant birds that, as you say, love the nectar. So by by creating a habitat that has lots of low shrubbery, um, some of the lovely grevilleas, they have tiny little red flowers all through them. They're brilliant for getting the smaller birds in. But you also have to attract the insects. Oh, my goodness. Can mm-hmm. you believe I'm saying this? Oh, I the, can. The <laughs> insects are actually an integral part of the ecosystem. And those small birds, many of them are insectivores. And uh, once you have those insects and those that food source is there, those birds put your place on the bush telegraph and before you know it, they are routinely visiting the garden. And I, I will share with you a lovely story. I was uh, sitting in the study the other day and now I've seen over 36 different species of birds in my garden. When I first started, there was, it was a very um, sterile 
garden. There was a lot of cocos palms and diosma. That was about it. Now we just, I just, we have rainbow bee eaters that come every mm. year. We've got um, western spinebills. We've just got such a glorious um, diversity of birds that visit my garden or our garden I should say and uh, and I didn't think that I would get that that joy of of seeing a new bird but I was sitting there talking on the phone uh, to my brother and then all of a sudden I was sounded like I was having a panicked attack or a heart attack and he was like what what's going on I was like oh, there's a new bird on the bird bath. oh my goodness now that's did you good, do what sorry, I sorry, do sorry. I say I've got to go. I've got to get a photo. <laughs> Bye. I'll call you back through uh, the through the fly screen through the window with my phone. I took a photo, and then I had the joy of trying to work out what it was. Yeah. Mm. And it was a western naped honey eater. Yes. And I had never seen one. I hadn't actually uh, hadn't experienced that. So that was a beautiful. Fun thing to do. So it's and not as simple as putting small shrubs in your garden, but that helps. Red's a good colour. Mm-hmm. Putting a bird bath won't do the trick. Oh, oh, definitely. Not on its own though. No, you've got to have. Well, you've got to have different. Um, putting water in your garden again, another art. You can have some up high uh, and some down low. Bigger birds need a bigger mm-hmm. bowl and smaller birds would like to be a bit more protected. So sort of set back under some shrubbery. Um, I've even discovered that the material that your bird bath is made of, they prefer something that they can grip onto. Some of these porcelain ones can be a bit too shiny mm. and slippery for them. A stick on your... Uh in the bird bath? Oh, Can definitely, yes. Okay. Well, we've reached 9 o'clock, so I think we'll break for the news and then we will come back. Please don't hold back on your calls. Remember, we do have a Bigger Trees $75 gift voucher for you to win in the second hour and plenty more good discussion with our good friend Claire Palmer, who is here in the studio with us until 10. So, after the news, we're looking forward to your calls on 94841927. Well, the forecast said cloudy, and it's absolutely right as I look out of the window. It's a cloudy morning, and showers are on the way. The forecast says there's a 95% chance of showers, most likely later this morning and into the afternoon. The chance of a thunderstorm, possibly, during the late morning and afternoon. Winds from the north-northeast at 20 to 30 kilometres, or is that kilometres? No, it's kilometres, shifting westerly 25 to 35 kilometres in the late afternoon, and then decreasing to 15 to 25 kilometres in the late evening. The UV index set at 4. Fire danger is low to moderate and we're expecting 10 to 15 millimetres of rain today in showers. Not constant rain, showers coming and going. Current conditions show that the humidity is in fact dropping at the moment and the temperature in Perth is 16 degrees. In Mandurah and on Rotnest it is currently 17 degrees. As we return to your favourite programme on a Saturday morning, let's talk gardening and really it is up to you. Let us talk gardening with you if you give us a call on 94841927. Now, looking out of the window, Faye and Claire, it is a grey morning. Would gardeners be out there this time preparing something uh, for their forthcoming oh, no, rain? not on a Saturday morning, Chris. They'll be inside with their cup of tea or doing their ironing or, or on their way to work listening to gardening what, on curtain. I think they're just transfixed by the conversation that you two are having about the preparation of gardens for uh, the forthcoming season and all the other terrific tips that they haven't even got to the phone yet. 
could 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 well be. be okay but let us not keep you away from your phone because we've got one more hour to go and claire is with us so give us a call on 94841927 and we will talk whatever gardening tips or topics you wish to bring up this morning we'll go firstly in this hour out to pinjara and say good morning sandy good morning how are you very, very good well. thanks sandy how can we help you today okay so we're looking at a hibiscus about oh, nearly two foot. Um, Mum's had it for about 12 months. Um, it did flower. It's a, they call it a full moon, beautiful yellow. Is that a hibiscus rose or something? I think it's the... the uh, rose, rose of Sharon, do you mean? Uh, no, something, rose of sin something. Sinensis? Oh, it, yeah. Thank you. Yes, yeah, there we go, yeah. Look, the leaves, uh, almost like they've been too close to a fire. The, they just look that burnt, black, very dry. Have you fertilised it with anything? No, that's why I double check with mum as far as, yeah, pouring fertiliser on, but no, she hasn't. No, no. So, Sandy, but like, is yeah. it in a pot or in the ground? No, in the ground. Okay. And, uh, well, our hibiscus are tropical. And Has it had frost? No. Not here in Pinjara, no. no and no hail? No, no, no. It, it could just be showing signs of the, the cold, wet winter. Uh, well, that's what I said to Mum. It probably feels like us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, waiting for the warm weather. I would probably wait another month and then uh, to encourage some new growth, give it a cut back and a feed and mulch okay, it, yep. ready to to move it on and give it something to to feed that new growth. Oh, okay then. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's got new shoots and everything. Mind you, I just went over and found wee little caterpillar, fairy caterpillar. Oh. But that's about the first time we've seen anything on it as such. Yeah. So the, I think I started looking because there was like holes in there and that. But yeah, yeah. those little caterpillars do that. <laughs> they do. Yeah, but it's the first one I found. Yeah. So all right then. No, we'll just yeah be patient and yeah, yeah give it some love and get ready for summer. Yeah, I think it'll look gorgeous come that warm weather. It'll bounce back and and you'll be. Oh, we all will, won't we? Yeah, we, <laughs> we all will. <laughs> We're waiting. All right. Thanks, Sandy. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, Bye Sandy. It's uh, approaching uh, ten minutes past nine already, and it's time for your calls. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Waste not a moment. Here's a topic that I think is very close to my interesting heart as well: rainwater and compost. Morning, Trish. Good morning. Yes, um, I've got a run of those compost tumblers. Yes. And I've got buckets underneath it, and the rainwater is going through the compost tumbler, which I've got coffee grounds and manure and gum, kitchen straps, scraps in. And I just wonder whether I needed to water that down like I do with my other, oh, I can't even never remember the name of my other composter thing that you sit on your kitchen bench. Akashi. Yes, that's the one, yes, yeah. I know you've got to water that one down, 10 mils to a litre, but I didn't know about all the water that's rainwater that's coming through my compost tumbler. Into I my guess buckets. it depends how concentrated it is. Is your compost tumbler, like, is it large and is it full? It's got two containers in it and one of them needs emptying out when the air the dirt in it dries out a bit and I can handle it because it's too heavy at present. Mm. But they are they are pretty full. It's pretty hard to turn, but of course it's wet. 
Yeah, so. that's right. And uh, um, compost generally, I think, at this time of year, tend to kind of just sit, don't they? They don't. They're not very yes. active when it's cold and wet. So, mm. uh, but so you don't want it to become aerobic. I, I couldn't tell from your description how concentrated it would be, but I don't think it. Well, it looks would... like very dark coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there much carbon in that compost? Have you put uh, newspaper and hay and, um, you know, those those sort of things into it? Because that would be, when you're making a good compost, you need a good nitrogen-carbon ratio. And to me, Mm. when you've talked about your scraps and your coffee, um, and what else did you say? Chicken manure. Chicken manure. Okay. That is, that's all nitrogen. You need yes. more carbon in there. Um, mm. And once you start adding that uh, and the weather starts warming up, that's when you'll start getting activity. Because I think at the moment, just without seeing it, it's a little hard. But sitting here listening, I wonder if it might be a little anaerobic and, and mm. it would but probably... But I would, I definitely would. It sounds like quite a concentrated mix mm. and chicken manure and coffee mm-hmm. grounds could be quite strong so yes I would water it down right yep okay yeah that's what I thought yes just to be safe yeah. mm. oh, are yeah. you talking about actually putting it on your garden now the the water that's I running have through yeah. is like a leachate yeah, it just it just comes through with the rainwater. The rain just water just goes through it, and I just put these buckets underneath it, and they mm. they get full. What a good idea! It's probably called compost tea. I yeah, would I would call think it. So. Well, it well I would call it coffee. You know, more <laughs> manure tea. <laughs> you know? Not quite the same as the juice we get out of us our uh, worm farm, though. No, no, but no. not far off either. No. Yeah, so so water it down. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I'd be I'd be doing that too because I've just been putting it on the garden. And I thought, oh, it's a bit strong. Your plants yeah, will tell you if it is too strong, Trish. How? Uh, they they oh, could I burn can. or yeah, yeah, just curl up their toes. Or flourish, yes. on the other hand, if it's just right. <laughs> if the coffee yes. is not too yeah. strong. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Trish. Okay, okay, have a good day. Have a lovely weekend. Claire, before we go any further, you talked about putting straw and newspaper. Does cardboard work in compost bins as well? Yes. Yeah. If I, I always think with car, um, cardboard, sometimes there's glues and mm-hmm. other things that are holding those, and it takes a long time for them to break down. So uh, Egg boxes? Egg, egg cartons, yeah. Anything, anything like that. Depends how quickly you're, you're trying to make compost because mm. with some of those tumblers you can turn out compost in two weeks yes um not fully broken down whereas your cardboard unless it's finely shredded will not uh, break down in that time that's what if I was you've got composting bins where it's going to sit for six months you might also get worms working their way through and and eating up the cardboard yeah. so it depends on the we've style of compost we've got mm. that at the moment those tall ones you sand on the ground and then you have to get the old thing and yes. aerate them the compost all. key yeah but i i, I i'm glad you mentioned that uh, during the cold weather they're pretty dormant there's not a lot of activity going on yeah. that reassures my heart because i think composting is a bit of an but art but the worms are still working chris mm-hmm. oh no doubt and enjoying the warmth within now, we had a call from Angela who couldn't hold on the line in Ridgewood. Uh, shall I read it to you? Yes, please. Hoping to, for help identifying a small bird she found in her garden, similar to a woolly wagtail, but all black and with a white stripe on its head. 
all black with a white stripe on its head. There mm. are mudlarks, which are a little bit bigger than a willy wagtail. Uh, of course, the honey eaters, they'll be black and white, but they'll have yellow on them. A small bird. Mm. I'm not too sure at the moment. Angela, there are so many, and uh, that is one of the joys, is trying to work <laughs> it out. And uh, what I do is there are some fantastic websites um, that actually, if you put something like birds in your backyard, Perth, there are incredible enthusiasts out there, as Faye talks so often, where people share their knowledge and would be happy um to help you try and identify this bird. Um, so, yeah, the, that's how I found out about my little western naped um, honey eater. Mm. I was on that Backyard Birds website. It came up. I, I, had a, I made it, managed to snap a photo. But interestingly, I actually got it wrong originally. And it's so funny how, and Faye, you'll understand this, when you, I, I, I saw the photo and said, oh, I've got an eastern nape tunny eater. But it was my brother who came back and said, well, no, you don't live in the east, Claire. <laughs> it would be very strange to find that one over here in the west. And then he came back with the Gilbert's honey eater. And, I, and then you get into names and, mm. and you know, it's, it can mm. be complicated. So for your uh, little small black bird, black bird um, uh, there are also some fabulous books that you can get There's from your library. There's also which are small birds. Uh, if, if you don't get a close look, then, well, because some of those birds will have a, a yellow and red spot on their wings, so it depends what a good look you get at it. But what I was also going to say, iNaturalist is an app that you can get on your phone, and currently they have missions they have missions all the time. So you could be looking at fungi or birds or flowers or reptiles. And these are missions where you can go out looking for things that are in your area mm. at that time. So mm. a lot of birds are seasonal. So there's a chance that a similar bird has been seen in your area and therefore it will bring up a mission and you can have a look. I've seen something come <laughs> up on my phone recently about an app that you can use and with your camera and your phone, look at a plant and it'll tell you what it is. Maybe we should do one for birds. I bet you there, there's one out there. There probably ah, is one. Yeah. Probably too. <laughs> now, we, to the punch. we need to uh, talk about avocados. And last weekend, Ray called us about a very sick avocado that, we, that he had and he sent us a photo. And we... <laughs> Also need to talk about grafting and care of avocados and everything we know about avocados, Claire. So Ray sent us a photo. It's quite a tall avocado tree. It's not looking too good at all. Uh, from memory, he was somewhere like Warnborough, so sort of coastal. Avocados quite often don't like salt and they don't like wind. And this is in a part of the backyard that has a fence behind it but there would be a lot of turbulence around here. Now, from what I can see, there is not a leaf on it. And I know that in order to check if it was still alive, one might be inclined to cutting it back. But I would not recommend touching an avocado at this time of year. They're very sensitive 
to to cutting back and also to dieback diseases. Mm. So it may be that because of the, the cold and the wet winter that this plant has dropped all its leaves and in springtime it may put on some new growth and that would then be the time to give it a trim back. Avocados have a very fibrous, shallow root system. Now, I can't tell if this is lawn underneath or mm. if it is, in fact, uh, a, a fake grass, which, if that's the case, may be detrimental to this because avocados need they need access to nutrients and it may be in competition. So their fibrous root system uh, is very shallow. It's almost like soft if you walk on it like a mat across the surface Uh yes very important that they get good mulch over the top whereas this has got either lawn or fake turf almost up to the trunk Mm. which is not not good at all there are quite a few varieties of avocado they will fruit better if they are grafted Uh, they can get quite big they can get six or ten meters grafted trees can be grafted onto some dwarf rootstock. When planting, I would not plant right now. I would wait until October. But you can grow them in a pot. And, of course, the grafted ones that are onto a dwarf rootstock would be better for that. Um, yeah, Claire, I, what else? That, that photo is quite quite sad really um i think once that tree gets above that wall i know you can't um see it um but the tree actually those winds would come through and just absolutely hammer that poor little tree Mm. so yeah it it Um, is quite big and yeah you know it's if it was well i would not expect it to be leafless at this time of year so it it doesn't like the location mm. uh i don't think it likes mm. the the lawn or the turf that's been planted right up to the neck i would work on the drip line so that's where the if it had leaves where the rain would fall around the outside so i would mulch right out to that area I would put down some something like a pelletized manure. Uh, I wouldn't worry about feeding it right now. I would wait until September or October, depending on the weather, and not cut back until probably October. And hopefully it might come back. In the uh, first two years after planting, a small tree should be protected with something around it. And uh, in my experience, avocados can be quite... Uh, temperamental so I've had a few in my garden and I've got them one I grew from seed because I couldn't keep losing them um, when they were grafted at the price that we pay for them but Claire will we'll come yeah. back to the, um, the grafting. growing and grafting <laughs> after the break <laughs> let's take a break at this moment thank you very much indeed uh, Faye it is 22 minutes past nine Welcome back to the program. It's all about you talking gardening until 10 o'clock with Faye and Claire and I'm Chris Bartlett. Uh, The time is now 24 minutes past nine already. Time is marching on. There's a message here on the screen, Faye, from Jeff in West Swan who suggests asking the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions, the Wildlife Service there, for help on identifying the bird. Is that a good idea? Nothing better. Yes, but I, I would be 
Googling images mm-hmm. to see if I could fix it because with the description of a little blackbird with a white stripe on covers a lot. Whereas yeah. if you've seen the bird, once you you get into the zone, you start to recognise things. So this is why the Facebook groups are very good. You know, you, you see other people who are out with their cameras photographing similar things Similar areas, same time. So you're thinking more of using Facebook more than just the, a Google browser by putting in black bird I, with white stripe on my I use WA? the interest groups okay. on Facebook yeah. a great deal, Chris, because yeah, you, you can share information and, and bounce and, around ideas. Yeah, and I think sometimes there are, like, there are actually are fantastic websites that have already been set up for bird identification. Yeah. And we don't need to put extra pressure on other areas that are mm-hmm. already doing other things. So sometimes if you just go to, uh, you, it's just incredible what will come up in your little search to mm. to discover this stuff. But it's there. It's yep. easy to find. Yes, if you're prepared to take the time, you'll yeah, find it. Yeah, just take take that time mm. and you'll learn so much. Super. Should we go back to the phones first? Yes, please. Let's go to Morley. Morning, Mac. Uh, good morning to you too. Good morning. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm having the trouble with my um, camellias. I've had them in for, oh, a number of years, 10, 12, maybe even a lot more. And I've always had the problem of they'll flower, but they, uh, they don't last long, you know, a day or a couple of days at most, uh, and then they just fall away, sort of thing. Now, they're approximately two to two and a half metres high. Um, I'm finding it hard now to go and cut them. <laughs> I'm getting old. So um, I was just wondering, there must be something in the soil, lacking in the soil. Oh, I... I'm not sure that camellias actually hold on the bush all that long, Mac. Uh, what I find is that they, once they open up, um, even when I've gone to pick them, they can drop their buds fairly soon. So I think the benefit is we get lots of flowers taking over for them. You'll always see a carpet of, of flowers underneath. So... Staying open for that amount of time, I, I'm not sure that that is a problem. But I think what you could do is encourage more flowers. And the way to do that, or the way to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can, yes. is to prune after flowering. So that will encourage more and bushy growth. And the more, the more branching you get, the more flowers you will get. So you can mm-hmm. you can prune it sort of up until Christmas and then probably after that it starts developing its flowers for the next season. Also, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of giving plants the fertiliser they need and I don't know how many times I'll say a complete fertiliser designed for flowering and fruiting plants. So in your case, particularly for azaleas and camellias, and that way, if if you do nothing else, you know that the plants have got what they need. Uh, you can add, mm. add liquid fertilisers or a, a seaweed tonic because that can add extra trace elements. You could throw around a little bit of rock dust and mulch them. They do mm-hmm. like acidic soil, so making sure that your soil is acidic or using a mulch that is acidic could also assist them. The fact that you, your blooms are opening up 
means that you're on the right track. And of course, with the weather that we've had lately, the wind and the rain, you know, I I kind of wouldn't expect them to hang on for more than a couple of days once they've opened. Right. It's been like this for um, a number of years now, you know, and I keep meaning to phone up, uh, but um, uh, <coughs> I just don't get around to it. Um, I, I am curious as to how long one would expect them to last. I, I know with mine, I, I'm aware that they do drop quite quickly even after I've picked them and brought them into the house they'll drop their buds after a couple of days I've never thought that you know I could get them to last longer than that but we might have to ask a camellia expert on that one Mm -hmm. yeah well that's in regards to trimming them you know how severe or how light should I do it I'm not a gardener my wife my late wife was the one you know, and I just uh, leave up to her. If they're two or so metres tall, I yes. would probably only take the tips off. And yes. if I see at the moment I'm going around with my hedge trimmers, uh, so any anything that gets in my way gets trimmed with a hedge. It's just quick and easy. Yes. Uh, if you've got more time, you'll then go in with the secateurs afterwards and clean up the cuts Right. And maybe yeah. directional prune as well. Fake prunes with no, with no mercy. <laughs> Does that help you, Mac? <laughs> That's my kind of... Uh, did, right. we, did, did we give you the information you wanted, Mac? Yes, it is. And, and thank you very much. It's a great Our pleasure. Our pleasure. All right, bye for now. Bye. Uh, Ray from Warnborough didn't stay on the line, but he wanted to say thanks for the help on the avocados. He had one more question. Uh, when he cuts it back, is it okay to cut the plant below the fence line? Yes, it would be. And what what he needs to do, what we didn't get around to, is if you... Avocados actually don't need pruning. A lot of the information I've read does not really talk about pruning. But if you cut it below the fence line, what you'll do is encourage it to grow wider and it is the lateral branches that will produce more avocados. So, yes, that that will be fine. And, and I he'll hope... be able to actually access them because my <laughs> parents right. have this enormous avocado in their backyard. It's totally inappropriate. It hangs over everybody's garden. <laughs> but all the avocados are right at the top of mm. the tree and, mm. uh, and they don't get too many of them. You could just... It's... Look up there and see them and then wait for them to drop. The benefit of pruning. Mm. Um, We'll come back. Mm -hmm. We've got more to talk about on avocados, but we've got a couple of calls waiting. Okay, let's go to Shelley and say good morning, Judy. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. I have a question on my roses. Um, I uh, pruned them late because of the chili thrip. I ended up with a nice flush just before, you know, the beginning of July. So I let that go through and then I pruned them. Um, I sprayed them with the uh, lime, copper, whatever it is that we use. Copper um, oxychloride? Yes, yes. Um, now I've got all the new growth coming through and I'm just wondering how do I stop the chilli thrip from getting a hold on them? Should I be spraying something now? I've got them growing with um, salvias all underneath but it doesn't seem to um, help. They're still getting the, the threat. Mm. Yes. Got this year to prove that I can do something and get some flowers or else I'm going to pull them out. Okay. 
I guess everyone needs to decide what style of gardener they are. So yep. in my garden, um, and and because I want a habitat garden, I want birds, I won't use any insecticides that harm the birds or the beneficial insects in my garden. And I'm, I'm using alisum, salvias, and actually this year I'm using more flowering perennial plants that will stay there rather than annuals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got diversity. I have some chilli thrips in the garden, but it actually does minor damage. But honestly, my roses would not win any shows, but I'm, I'm just not prepared to use toxic insecticides. I would yeah. use uh, an eco oil. Yeah. And if that coats the insect, that will be a help. It also won't harm the beneficial beneficial insects I yep. have also done quite a hard prune yeah and I have raked up any leaves that are underneath because the eggs can overwinter in the soil yes yeah so yep. going forward the other thing that I will do during the day is to get a water bottle a spray bottle and go out in the middle of the day a couple of times and just squirt around because chili thrips don't like a moist environment Mm -hmm. So that, that's my natural way of managing things. Uh, the other people have recommended Success Ultra. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a routine. You have to mm. apply it at least two or three times. And neem oil has mm. also been used. Neem is yeah. a systemic, so it goes up through the vascular um, yeah. plant and then when they bite into it. Um, and then the, this would be reapplied um, I think you've got to do it on on a fortnightly or yeah. two week basis. Yes, yeah. and I've, yes. Got, I've, I've got forty rose bushes. Mm. And <laughs> it's very tricky. Consuming, um, and I did try the success, um, and I've noticed that it the thrip seemed to go for the floribundus more than the, you know, your standard old-fashioned rose with Dave the one. Yeah, one that's, that's interesting mm. because I think some plants are more susceptible. And there, there yeah, is... Yeah, I think it's because of the, the softer leaf, maybe, mm. and the bud. It yeah. makes sense, um, doesn't it? Yeah. There... So um, I've just got them all coming through and, and you kind of wait and then all of a sudden you realise you've got it. And I thought thinking when I was pruning and I thought is there any way that you can kind of beat that there is also a systemic insecticide that yes. anything that eats the plant will be harmed yes. now my I, I don't even like talking about those because leafcutter bees will often use roses to provision their nests so I don't know yes. what harm that can do and the other thing is there's there's hundreds of chili thrip host plants. So if you're going to to poison uh, roses, we've also got to look at grapes and citrus. There are other plants in the garden. And my worst fear is that gardeners are going to go out and just nuke their whole gardens. And mm -hmm. then... The, the effect on top of that is 
the insects and the birds. So I, I've, I've given you all the information, Judy, and I'm going to leave it up it's to you. It's so hard, Judy. I feel I feel your pain because it's a little bit like COVID. We all, as humans, deal with it differently, and we all have different ways. Some people want to fully control and do whatever they can, and then other people have a different view of life. And it's just the same in the garden. We all have different views, and you just have to kind of look to um, how best you feel you can do you know what's your values and where you want to go with this and I actually spoke to a guy had a huge rose garden just recently and he's he's pulled them all out and he's now on a new adventure Um, I'm not suggesting that's um, something that's right for you but for him he's now experiencing um, his a, a whole new adventure in the garden and that one that doesn't require like using heavy yeah, chemicals. Yeah. I did have a lot of Elysium growing in my garden and it actually got away and once you've got it in there um, it's very hard to control it yeah. um, and every time I touch it I think I must be allergic to it or something so I've gradually got rid of that but I have actually got the, the red salvia and the blue salvia that are sort of self-seeded all the way through mm. but it doesn't seem whether it's not enough to control the thrip or um, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, Daryl Hardy did talk about how a new bug on the scene, it takes a while for the predators to, to work out what it is. So, yeah. It might be a little bit of pain, but in the long time, it'll sort itself out as so often. Well, I must admit that um, the first year we had it, I just kept cutting, you know, you cut off the, the affected bit. And by the time you got round to pruning your roses, there was nothing much left <laughs> to prune because it had all been gone. You know, you've binned it and got rid of it, yeah. uh, bagged it and binned it. Um, so, and this last year, I did let it sort of go a little bit longer. Um, and as I said, I did end up with a, quite a nice lot of roses um, just before I pruned them. But... Now they're all coming through and I'm thinking, now what's going to happen this year? Mm. That's the big question and we're going to leave you with that one, Judy, because we must move on. Good luck with the roses, I must say. And uh, we're going to take a quick pause for the sponsors, then we'll come back and talk about lemon trees with John. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening and it comes to that time of the morning when we turn with gracious thanks to Kerry Spriggs at Bigger Trees who offers you the opportunity every week to win a $75 gift voucher. Now this is an immaculate, fabulous uh, family-run nursery as you probably well know and the spring is just around the corner so it's time to explore their huge range of ornamental and fruit trees and everything in between. Great indoor plants too, new bare-rooted stock has just been planted and it's ready to go and they're open Thursday through to Sunday in Pickering Brook. They're talking about bigger trees. And here is the question we have for you. Now, the question is directed to all Curtain Radio members only. And please, nobody who's won a prize within the last 28 days, let's play fair. And I'll give you the question, and then you call Jill on 94841927 with the answer, and we'll see whether you are the lucky uh, person this morning to win the $75 voucher. The question is as follows, as prepared by John. According to Lewis Carroll, what vegetable might a walrus and a carpenter talk about? Okay, you got that? 94841927. The question of the day is, according to Lewis Carroll, what vegetable might a walrus and a carpenter talk about? I'll leave you with that as we go back to talking uh, lemon trees with John in Warnborough. Morning, John. Good morning. Good How morning, are you, John? John? <laughs> 
Love your show. Um, uh, I've got a 20-year-old lemon tree. It, it fruits like mad. But all of a sudden this year, all the fruit at the top of the tree are a deep orange in colour. Ah, I do wonder if you've got some of the rootstock that has become very vigorous, shot up to the top. If you have a look at the base of the tree, you might be able to see where there's a graft line. And so you'll have two types of tree coming up. You might find that your your lemon is the lower part and the rootstock has shot right up. And I'm going to ask you to cut that off. Okay, I'll do that. Mm. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Common problem, John. Thank you, John. Okay, so uh, while we're still on the subject of citrus trees, Faye and Claire, uh, Sam called in. He's got trouble with fruit flies on his uh, mandarins. What do you recommend he sprays them with? Okay, if the tree is small enough, yes, you could put a net over it, which once again is good reason for pruning to keep it to a manageable size. But I would actually use baits and traps, and you can you can either make your own or you can buy a, a product to to refill and hang lots of bottles around the tree. Yeah, it's a it's a year round problem, Sam, and it's something that you will be having to do. Uh, it's a routine in the garden to fill up your uh, fruit fly traps uh, with. Fresh, um, particularly at this time of year, actually, it's not a bad idea because we used to say you didn't have to bother in winter, but that's actually not quite true. It's year-round. Fill up your traps. They will attract the male flies into it or the mm-hmm. fruit fly, and you'll see them all drowned in there. But it's a it's a war out there with what, the. What's the ingredients, Claire, in our trap? Uh, well, there's lots on there's lots of commercial traps mm-hmm. and uh, uh, commercial ones that you can buy in nurseries. Um, the one what I like about them is they tend to last for a long time, mm-hmm. whereas some of our homemade traps can actually sort of run out of steam because a lot of them are using yeast. Uh, and uh, is it yeast? And well, I've I've done a, a range: uh, yeah. cloudy ammonia, Vegemite, juice, sugar, mm-hmm. water, uh, and a bit of oil to create a surface tension. And I've used just the water bottles, uh, holes cut or drill down the side away from the top so that when the fruit fly goes in Mm. it would if it was trying to get out would go up the top but the holes aren't at the top they're a bit way down the bottle and you don't even need to fill them up just a couple of um, inches in the bottom attracted so there's lots of recipes yeah there's heaps of Mm. recipes you you just go and pick them and try them out but yeah you're going to have to keep doing it and if you are going to net you have to get your timing right because those bees need to do their pollination and those fruit fly get to that fruit quite early in the season so you you do need to think about timing great we have a winner for the bigger tree 75 dollars voucher for this week and it was frida and bassendine who was able to answer the question let me repeat it to you according to lewis carroll 
Carroll from The Walrus and the Carpenter by Lewis Carroll. Which vegetable or what vegetable might The Walrus and the Carpenter talk about? And Frida was right. It was a cabbage. As it (laughs) says in the book, the time has come, The Walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings and why the sea is boiling hot and where the pigs have wings. Well done, Frida. (laughs) We'll be sending that one to you. Shall we go on to our next call? I think we should. Yes, let's talk to Carol. She's been waiting a while. There you are. Carol, you're online now. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I have a a cyclamen. Now, uh, a friend gave it to me a couple of months ago, and I have had them previously, but I've never had very much luck. Uh, My husband Googled it for me and told me that uh, when it had finished flowering, I'd put it outside under the shade. But I need a little bit more detail. Mm, okay. Do I wait until the leaves fall off or do you just stop watering it? Or? Well, I, I know that my nana always used to put the cyclamen outside at night time because they enjoyed the cool. But they will also acclimatise in a garden. They can grow very well in a garden. If just planted under a, a shady tree, uh, they will even set seed where their flowers finish and it's quite an interesting like bigger than a pea size all coiled up and then those on the end of the flower stems drop over and a new corm develops so they'll die down in the summer months and come come up again in around autumn i think it is that's right so, so if you put it in the garden, or don't put it in a, a pot or anything. Just put it straight into the the garden, uh, and the leaves or grass will just fall off. Well, they are woodland plants, Maggie. So they, you know, in our sandy soils in Perth, it, it always it unless you've got a really good soil in your garden, no. I would put it into a pot. <laughs> it's very uh, sandy. <laughs> yeah, mm. maybe a pot is a better way of. Um, getting them to to live on. I know that my mum has them in her garden and uh, she lets them just die back naturally and then they just pop up again and it's an absolute joy. And they are one plant that do very well if mass planted under a tree that's quite rooted, especially if it's a deciduous tree because that helps feed the soil on an annual basis. Yeah, I think um, Mm. dry shade during summer, but you do need to have... Make sure that your soil isn't it just barren sand if you are going to do it in the garden. I've actually seen them in a beautiful garden in, in Forestfield. Um, it's under a, a very lovely viburnum and every year they just pop up this little carpet of, of cyclamens and flower. So depending on what your space is like, um, if you have that lovely shaded dry spot where um, they can... You can give them a go. Otherwise, um, you know, you can so experiment, experiment. From Chuck's... now on? Sorry? Now it's finished flowering. You stop watering it? Yes. Yeah, because I think they go dormant, don't they? They they do go dormant. I would put it in the, just put it outside, water it sparingly, let it, it do its own thing when it's ready. I mean, you could even give it a liquid feed and you might get more flowers. I've got one at home that's gone off. It's just, I don't know, it's come, it's stopped Finished. flowering, mm. its leaves are all dying back, and I'm just going to go and pop it pop it aside and, and let it do its thing as well. So, yeah, um, okay. have, have mm. a play. But I would, if you want to see it next year, pop it, pop it out of the way in a pot maybe and watch it come back. There you go, Carol. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. It's a You're pleasure. Welcome. Lovely to have you on the programme. Before we uh, go to our break, and after the uh, the pause, I think we should get to your emails, because uh, mm, I know you've got a, a lot few. this morning. Margie Nguellup wonders, she's heard that you can use newspaper uh, for weed matting, but can cardboard work just as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. Layers of cardboard. And with this weather, it'll wet beautifully. It'll form that layer between the soil, which is full of weeds, and then I would put mulch on top of that, and it'll break down beautifully. Beautiful. Answer there given, and I hope you heard every word of it, Margie. Good to be of service. We'll be back in just a moment. Radio. About seven minutes to ten, not much more of the programme to go, but so many things to discuss, particularly emails. Faye? Right, I'm on to, I'm going to whiz through these and hopefully we'll have some happy listeners. We have just received an email come through to the studio via an MMS uh, about identifying a plant that has a problem with the trunk, but no picture came through. So hopefully they can send that to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. We have received an email from Jenny and she sent in a photo of a bougainvillea bush that she's pruned. And it looks like she's just taken the tips off, which... Um, the leaves have all gone as well. She wonders, will, will the beautiful flowers return or should I prune it right back? I enjoy your show ever since I was introduced to Curtain Radio a few years ago. Thanks for your help and have a good day. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yes, Jenny, I would. I think you've got nothing to lose now. I would go back much further. I'd bring the bougainvillea down below the eaves. And, and give it a nice tidy up. You can go back into some of the hardwood and clean out some of the dead stuff. They're, they're a bit of a nightmare to prune, but it will thank you for it and you can't kill a bougainvillea. It will come back beautifully. Denise has sent a photo of her camellia. And interesting, we had another call about camellia flowers only lasting a day or two from a gentleman earlier. And that is, in fact, the case. They do. They're very floriferous, but the flowers don't last long. The photo Denise has sent in is uh, of a camellia where the buds drop. And uh, there's there could be many reasons for this. Camellias are an acid-loving plant, and so they enjoy a low pH or acidic soil. You could possibly check that. Uh, nutrition so once again I would go for the complete uh, fertilizer designed for flowering and fruiting plants particularly camellias and azaleas that has all the trace elements you could even add some rock dust and you could even give it a, a liquid sea salt or something similar now I would cut this back after flowering the more you cut back the better it will respond. It will branch out and you'll get more flowers next year. Don't cut back after Christmas because it will be going into developing its flowers for next year. But feeding, mulching, and they're, they're pretty water-wise too mm-hmm. once they're established. Thanks Thank to you to Nissa. She has sent us in a beautiful photo of her amazing garden backing onto forest. And she has a hedge of Bonnie Prince Charlie. And it's a magnet to small birds. She's also got the bird bath there by the look of it. Both insect and nectar feeders come in. The flowers are produced throughout the bushes, providing safety and cover 
whilst feeding. Provision of perches is also important too and old gardening tools are great for this purpose. Ah, that's interesting. That's Bit great. Bit of garden art. I love that idea. Mm. So for listeners uh, today wondering what to do, this weekend the South Eastern Orchid Society annual show is on. Today and tomorrow there are orchids, bonsai, cactus and succulents, African violets, ferns and more. So get along and have a look at the Cannington Exhibition Hall today and tomorrow. Still going. Uh, Back to the avocados, Claire. Let's finish this off. We could talk about how to grow from seed and then grafting. And for the information we don't get through today, there's a new Facebook page called WA Garden Buddies. And Kerry has kindly put together some information. There's uh, details of techniques to use. And I think that's something that we really need to see a YouTube video of rather than explaining the technicalities of that. So Claire, let's start from seed. Well, I've grown quite a few. I mean, I think it's a rite of ch childhood passage to have your little avocado in the glass jar, um, watching it absolutely put its roots down and get going. But the drawbacks are that it can take six to eight years for that avocado to actually produce some fruit. And you're not sure what kind of fruit you're going to get because it'll throw back to a, a parent. So you, you, that's the beauty of the graft. The grafting gives you an assurance of what kind of avocado you're going, you're going to get. So I like to still grow from seed because you might actually get an absolute ripper of an avocado. And uh, that's how we um, keep exploring and keep things going. But if you buy a grafted one, not only can you have the dwarf dwarfing effect, which some of them have, but you will get uh, fruit within two to four years. So, mm. um, As distinct, the seed-grown ones can can take 10 years. Ah, hello, they can take like 15 as well. And you may never get good fruit off it. Yeah. So it's the luck of the draw. So grafting is done in the warmer weather when the sap is rising. We're going to keep our ear out for workshops on grafting. And I'm thinking next year that might be something that we tackle in my garden. Great. Doing some, some workshops on, on different aspects. Now, they, what else don't they like? Oh, they're also prone to dieback or phytophthora. And there is a, a treatment for this, uh, anti-rot, or it can be injected into the stem. Now, I did read that mulching up the leaves and putting them back at the base can also help. Interestingly, the fruit has a ripening inhibitor in it. So it will hang on the tree until you're ready to pick. You can tell when it's ready to pick uh, because the the skin becomes dull, goes from glossy to dull and the attachment at the stem goes slightly yellow. So what you do is you pick your fruit while it's not ripe but when it's fully developed and you can put it in a bowl with a banana or an apple and it will ripen over a couple of days. If you pick a lot of fruit, you can actually wrap them in newspaper and put them in the fridge and they will hold in there. Now, another little trick that happened, someone asked us about ripening green passion fruit. Mm -hmm. And John came up with a list of suggestions. Mm -hmm. I bought a five kilo uh, bag of 
basmati rice the other day <laughs> and I put my green passion fruit into them. Right. And look, and look two weeks them. later, they've kind of turned purple. Ta-da! Yeah. Wonderful. And so become all go. crinkly. Tips and <laughs> tricks. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, for more information on the avocados, WA Garden Buddies Facebook group will give you techniques and keep, keep a listen out for workshops coming up. And quickly, Leslie, thank you again for your patience. Lime sulfur on roses. Will it affect gerberas? We can't get an, a definitive answer on this, I'm afraid, Leslie. Uh, I would go eco-fungicide if your gerberas, in fact, are showing signs of mildew. <sighs> We've thank run out you, of Chris. time. Oh, thank you, Faith. It's always a joy and a pleasure and a privilege to come and do the program with you. Been a and pleasure. thank you, Claire, for coming in. It's been lovely to meet you too. Yes, come and join us again sometime. Thank you, Chris. It's and next time you ask, fun. I'll come back too, Faye. Okay, look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Wrong button. Um, same time next week, 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, we'll be talking gardening again. Will Ray be back? Uh, in two weeks. In two weeks' time, good. So, um, unfortunately, I, w I won't be here, but that's not the point. Somebody will be in the chair and Faye will be here, that's for sure. It's just after 10 o'clock. We can hold him back no longer. Jim is in the studio. Have a good weekend. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.